Bulls man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition of PFT PM. We're going five for five this week. That doesn't happen very often, and it's driven by the fact that we have an interview today. So as a vehicle for the interview, this is the wraparound. It's like the bun and the lettuce and the tomato and the other crap that you would put on a hamburger. But for the hamburger, you ain't getting none of the other crap. Today, you're getting the other crap. And I don't know how much other crap you're getting. I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. I'm going to scroll through right now and see what I want to talk about. One thing I want to talk about, because I talked about this earlier today on PFT Live on the radio side. I did a little clip in PFT OT that touches on this. When the Raiders decided not to pick up the option on safety Carl Joseph, first round pick in the 2016 draft, 15 overall. I remember it was a surprise to a lot of people. It was kind of a surprise also that John Gruden, the coach of the Raiders, said back in early March that they were expected to pick up the fifth-year option on Joseph. Then last night came the report they didn't pick it up. They're not picking it up. And my critique of it was you need to preemptively explain why you did what you did. You need to get the word out there that maybe you were thinking about not doing it. Because John Gruden needs to be concerned about his reputation for saying one thing and doing another. Today, he explained why they didn't do it. He downplayed the significance of the decision, pointing out that the team can still sign Carl Joseph to a new contract before we leave to another team. That's a big story for some people, Gruden said, but that doesn't mean we don't want Carl with us this year and in the future. That's fine. And that's exactly what I said he should have said before it came out from someone else that they're not picking up the option. Because he has a reputation for saying one thing and doing another, and this adds to that because he said something, and what did he do? He did something completely different. And it sends a message to the locker room. You can't trust this guy, and that's not a good message to send to your locker room. Now, he can be mad that I say that. He can be mad that I believe that. He can be mad that that's his reputation. Or he can act in a manner that meshes with the reputation or that defies the reputation. It's up to him. It's up to him. I'm done feeling bad for being candid about what we say regarding John Gruden. We had a couple of interviews with him last year. I thought they were good. I thought it was interesting. I don't think he likes some of the things we've said about the way he handled the team last year. Well, he didn't handle the team very well last year. They were 4-12. and 12. They stunk. They traded Khalil Mack. They traded Amari Cooper. They traded Amari Cooper after he said Amari Cooper wasn't on the block. And I understand everything's subject to change, but you need to have credibility with your fans, with your media, with your players. And he's already in a position where that may be something that He's lacking. And again, I don't know why I feel bad about it. I think I feel bad about it because he coached Sims. And I feel like because of that, and maybe he thinks that, because of that, there's some extra consideration that he should get because he coached Sims. So we should be nicer to him. I don't know. I I don't know. I can't feel bad about that. I got a job to do. And if he doesn't like it, so be it. If he's not going to do any more interviews with us, so be it. If Mayock's not going to do an interview with us, so be it. I liked what they did in the draft. I defended them for reaching for Cleveland Farrell by pointing out that if Mayock weren't 
with the Raiders right now, but working for NFL Network, it wouldn't have been a shock because Mayock would have been telling us for the last three months that Cleveland Farrell's a guy who should be considered at the top of the draft. So I, I don't know. Stupid to feel bad about things. I mean, this is an industry where coaches fire employees all the time. And do they feel bad about it? I don't know. They do what they have to do. They do their jobs. On a regular basis, NFL coaches have to tell players their dreams are over or at a minimum put on pause. And I'm sure the players don't like it, but the coaches still do it. So there are things in this business that we do that some people don't like, but we still have to do our jobs. And I refuse. The more I hear, I'm going to deviate from a second from the thought. I'm going to, there's so much propaganda out there because there's so much team and league owned media. Somebody sent me something today with a historical look at the grades that someone at NFL.com has applied to draft classes. It's all A's and B's. The lowest that anyone ever got was a C-. There's so much gratuitous positivity. And I'm not trying to be gratuitously negative. I'm just trying to be real. And when sports leagues are going to own media operations, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever, when sports leagues are going to own media operations, there's a very real risk that there's going to be propaganda. I'm choosing my words carefully here. But I think the people who are in those jobs understand what they have to do to keep those jobs. There's a lot of pom-pom waving that goes on. There's a lot of playing to the least common denominator. I, I mentioned this earlier in the week. Look at some of the clips that have made the rounds on Twitter this week. The glowing endorsement of this team's draft class, that team's draft class, that team's draft class. They're all going to be 14-2. and two. Everybody's making the playoffs. They've expanded the postseason this year. All 32 teams are making it. Congratulations. At a certain point, it becomes pandering. At a certain point, it becomes not credible. And I'd like to think that smart people will look at this and say, yeah, you know, I kind of like it when people say good things about my favorite team, but these people say good things about every team. It's like, how much stock can you put in a compliment from your grandma? Oh, honey, your hair looks great. Thanks, grandma. What's grandma going to say? Well, it depends on who grandma is, frankly. See, I... <laughs> Some of us may have had mothers and or grandmothers who told it like it is. Maybe that's why I tell it like it is. I had a mother who told it like it was. Now, she still had a bit of a, a warped sense of how it was, but... If my mother truly believed something about me, she wasn't bashful about saying it. And you know what? She usually was right. And it usually was a message that whatever it was that I was doing or saying or whatever my hair looked like or my clothes looked like or my face looked like, maybe I should do something about it. Now, 
Certain things can't be changed. Certain things can. Shave that damn thing off of your face. What is that? You're going to wear that? What is that thing? Where'd you buy that? Take that back. That looks like... Yeah. And you know what? I don't know. We're all a product of our environment. And... Do, do we want to have a bunch of people around us who blow smoke up our ass? Or do we want people who are honest with us and tell us the truth? Some people apparently want to have smoke blown up their ass. Hey, Raiders, great job. Everything's great. Keep doing what you're doing, John. Everything's fine. Just keep going 4-12 and 12 and everything will be fine. Keep telling your players that you're picking up their fifth-year option and then don't pick it up. Everything will be absolutely positively fine. Just keep doing it. How's that? We got an interview of Mitch Trubisky coming up. We did it right after PFT Live. Big Cat stuck around because, one, he knows Trubisky. Two, he's a Bears fan. I'm going to play that for you in a little bit. Looking to see what else is going on. Freddie Kitchens told Greedy Williams no more Super Bowl predictions. It's not even a Super Bowl prediction. It's just a flat-out guarantee. Twice, at least, Greedy Williams, second-round pick of the Browns, saying that Browns are going to the Super Bowl this year. We're not in the prediction business, Freddie Kitchens said. I like the confidence. I like the excitement, the passion he has. He's a really good kid, and he was just full of excitement. I like the excitement. I like the enthusiasm. He has a lot of both. Maybe he's been watching too much NFL Network. Everybody's going to the Super Bowl. It's a 32-team battle royale. Didn't you hear? Everybody's making the playoffs. Everybody's making the Super Bowl. And somehow, somehow, they've altered the rules in a way that ensures... Everybody's winning the Super Bowl. Imagine that. All right, I'm being a real dick today. That's all right. I'm a little salty today. I don't know. Sometimes you're salty, sometimes you're not. Sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, I'm better when I'm salty or not as bad as the case may be. The Bills were happy that the New York Giants took Daniel Jones. Of course they were. Anytime you have your quarterback and there's somebody drafting in front of you and they take a quarterback... That's like drafting a spot higher. The Cardinals took Kyler Murray. Good. The Giants took Daniel Jones. Even better. Because the Bills at number nine essentially were at number seven. There's video that shows people cheering in the Bills draft room. Because when the ninth pick came up, Ed Oliver was still there. If the Giants take Josh Allen, who do the Jaguars take? They take Ed Oliver, quite possibly. Or they take whoever went after Josh Allen, TJ Hawkinson. And then maybe the Lions take Ed Oliver. So yeah, reason to be happy. How about this Vikings habit of issuing Randy Moss's number and reissuing Randy Moss's number? When they put him in the Ring of Honor last year, there were some reports suggesting they were retiring the number. They didn't retire the number. They put him in the Ring of Honor, but they didn't retire the number. They traded him in 2005. Two years later, Andre Allison was wearing 84. Then Michael Jenkins was wearing 84. Then Randy Moss wore 84 for three weeks until they fired him. Then Cordell Patterson wore 84 for four seasons. After that, the Vikings put Moss in the Ring of Honor, and now Irv Smith is going to wear it. 
I thought his quote was funny. His quote was tone deaf. I wore 82 in college. My dad wore 82 in the league. I felt like it would be cool to switch it up a bit. You can't wear 82 because Kyle Rudolph's there. You're not switching it up. 82 is not available until they trade Kyle Rudolph. Then it's available. And why do we care about numbers? Because the players care about numbers. They buy and sell these numbers. There was a lawsuit at one point when Clinton Portis was traded to Washington. He got number 26 from whoever was wearing it at the time. I can't remember who it was. For $40,000. Paid him $20,000. The player later got cut. So Portis stiffed him out of the other 20. And the guy sued Portis. And ended up settling it. It's a big deal for guys. They want to wear their number. Look good, feel good, play good. And that number that you have on your jersey, it's a factor. It's amazing. Now, back when they gave the number to Cordell Patterson, Randy Moss said it was disrespectful that they had issued the number but he was kind of smiling when he said it, but still, he said it. And you would think that after they put him in the Ring of Honor, they would at least set it aside for a bit longer. It's not like they don't have enough numbers. They've only retired six. And I I made the point earlier in the week on PFT Live, and I don't know, maybe it's a goofy point, but that doesn't stop me from making it. The, The fact that you can't retire numbers forever. Like, from time to time, and this is what I said on PFT Live, I had finished a can of shaving cream. And what I do is, and this is one of the great things about Amazon, and of course I will lament when they close all the stores in my town, and I can only get my things through Amazon. It's like the people this week who were upset about the shuttering of ESPN the magazine and they learned about it by reading articles on their phones like I can't be upset if the local Kroger goes away as I continue to order shit from Amazon but what I do with shaving cream because I hate to run out of shaving cream there's nothing worse than having to shave your face with just hot water so when I get down to the last can go to Amazon get my box of six cans of the shaving cream that I use. And if we had a sponsorship with that company, I would mention it. We possibly have a sponsorship through NBC, through a rival company, so I ain't saying a goddamn thing. I get down to the last can, I order more. So I finished a can, I put the new can on the sink, and I held the old can and I thought, where is this thing gonna be in 100 years? I know where I'm gonna be in 100 years. Where's this can gonna be in 100 years? Is there anything about this can that is going to cease to be a can? It's got right on the side, steel. A hundred years from now, this can is still going to be a can. It's going to be stuck somewhere at the bottom of a landfill with a bunch of other shit that doesn't biodegrade. How long is that sustainable? We just assume that... I don't know what we assume. Isn't it weird... You put this, I I know, I I haven't been drinking or smoking anything today, but I do think about this from time to time. Don't you think about this when you carry your garbage out to the can? Do you ever think, where's all this shit going to be? 
And how much more room is there for all this shit? And it's embarrassing when you look at the amount of garbage that the human race generates. We do a lot of entertaining here. We have family over frequently. I have people over in the barn at least once a week. My kid will be in town and he'll have friends over at the barn. We accumulate a shitload of garbage. Two cans full. Two of those big-ass green cans. Full every week. How does this continue? If you've ever been in New York City, every night as you'll walk around Manhattan, there's a point where all the restaurants put all their frickin' garbage out on the street because it's not like the restaurants have the luxury of having a dumpster out back like most restaurants have. Garbage, ba- bags of garbage in the street. Everywhere you go, bags of garbage, bags of garbage. It's not, not a mess, but they're there. They get picked up. Lather, rinse, repeat. Next day, more bags of garbage. And then all the restaurants that are in normal locations throughout the country with the dumpsters out back, just fill them up. More and more shit. When I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken every day, taking garbage out, throwing it in the dumpster, throwing it in the dumpster. Where's all that shit now from 35 years ago? And where's all the shit that we're generating now going to be 35 years from now? At what point is there simply no more space? What do you do? Politicians get caught up in the most immediate short-term problems. At some point, and I'll be long gone, at some point, one of my descendants is going to be around when story A on every news broadcast is what the hell are we going to do with all this shit? Sorry to stray off topic. How did I get there? Oh, numbers. We were joking about it the other day. I said 100,000 years from now, your jersey number will just be your social security number. Because they'll be completely out of numbers. What do you do? There's going to be, at some point, at some point, for one of these franchises, and Peter King and Chris Sims mentioned the New York Yankees as an example because they have a bunch of numbers retired. Now, they don't have 53 guys on the roster either, so it will be a lot longer before they get to the point where they're pinched. But at some point, you're going to have a Michael Jordan caliber player. You're going to have a Tom Brady caliber player at some point, assuming that we're around that long, assuming that, you know, the, all the garbage doesn't like, you know, collapse on us. At some point, there's going to be a great player who's playing for a team and they're just like, I'm sorry, we'd like to honor your accomplishments, but we can't retire your number because we retired way too many numbers for too many other guys who were half the player that you were. All due respect to them. We're out of numbers. I'm looking at this here. This is a great off-season topic, right? I know there's other stuff going on. Who cares about rookie minicamps? I only care about rookie minicamps if somebody gets injured. Not that I want somebody to get injured. There's a lot of these teams that have a nice chunk of names that go with numbers that are retired. You know the Cowboys have none? Maybe that's a smart thing to do. Just don't do it. Oakland has none, and the Cowboys have none. Steelers only have two. Ernie Stotner and Joe Green. Isn't that odd? Now, I don't think anybody's worn number 12 since Terry Bradshaw. I doubt they're issuing 32 very frequently. But, you know, 
that that way it lets you pick and choose. If you just set numbers aside, then what you can do is once you've set aside so many, there's one that maybe you've set aside for the last 500 years that you just can't set aside anymore. And you're not disrespecting anybody by doing it. Or the numbers will be retired, but they'll still be used, like Frank Trapuca. Frank Trapuca wore number 18 for the Denver Broncos. When Peyton Manning joined the Denver Broncos, he asked Frank Trapuca to wear number 18. What's Frank Trapuca going to say? No. You say no, you come off as an ass. I had an issue with that then. I got an issue with it now. Just wear a different number if it's retired. And if you're not prepared to honor the concept of the retired number, don't retire the number. These are very deep issues that we're addressing today on the PFTPM podcast. But am I wrong to be concerned about where all the garbage is going to go and what it's eventually going to do? Don't we at some point have to incinerate everything? And then what does that do to the... Remember, it was the ozone. That was the big deal in the 70s. The the ozone layer is going to be gone. Where is it going to go? Well, it's going to disappear. And then, like, the sun is going to cook the earth. And and I, I, I didn't know... I mean, hell, I don't know. But I remember the ozone was a big deal. There were certain things that, that they... St- like aerosol. Well, your uh, deodorant. Don't, don't use aerosol. It, it depletes the ozone. You heard that everywhere you went. And there were certain types of styrofoam. That when it burns, it depletes the ozone. I haven't heard about the ozone in a long, long time. I've heard a lot about global warming. And, and here's the thing. It becomes such a political issue you don't know what's true and what's not true. I think we've gotten to the point where it's kind of accepted that this isn't good. But there's still this this block of people who insist that it's okay with some pretty ridiculous arguments. And it all gets caught up in red state, blue state. How have we survived as a people for as long as we have? When, when you consider the inherent flaws that reside in all of our organizations, this was a theory I came up with 25 years ago, maybe longer. Once I had enough experience to understand that most educational institutions at some level are screwed up. Most public agencies at some level are screwed up. Most private businesses at some level are screwed up. How do these things continue to exist? It's proof that there is some higher power out there that's holding all our shit together. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do anything. Everything would collapse. I don't know whether this is a good episode of PFTPM or a bad episode of PFTPM. All I know is this is what I'm thinking, and I have to be true to what I said earlier when I talked about do you want propaganda or do you want real? This is real. This is how I'm feeling today. How should we feel about Chad Kelly being at the Colts rookie minicamp on a tryout basis? I feel like this is the compromise that Chris Ballard reached with Frank Reich. I have a feeling Frank Reich has been pushing hard to get his buddy Jim Kelly's nephew another chance. And also Frank Reich realizes, and I think at a certain level Chris Ballard realizes, that Jacoby Brissett's only under contract for one more year and they're going to need a backup to Andrew Luck. But Chad Kelly went from Mr. Irrelevant to number two on the Broncos' depth chart pretty damn quickly. So the guy's got talent. And I'm surprised he hasn't gotten his second chance or third chance, as the case may be, sooner than now. I was surprised the AAF didn't make a play for him. 
because Bill Polian, co-founder of the AAF, had declared at one point that Chad Kelly was the best quarterback in the 2017 class. That's a pretty big statement for a class that had Deshaun Watson and a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Oh, and a guy named Mitchell Trubisky. That's as good a spot as any for me to shut up and let you hear from me and from Big Cat and from Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Here's the interview that we recorded with Trubisky earlier today. Joining us now, a man entering his third NFL season, just a couple of years removed from being the second overall pick in the draft, Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Mitch, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Thanks for having me on this morning. Hey, we're doing great. Great to have you. And Mitch, you're here on behalf of Gone Rogue Snacks, a product that combines the crunchiness of a potato chip with the protein-rich benefits of jerky and has 17-plus grams of protein in each pack. So, like, last weekend, are you sitting around with your Gone Rogue Snacks watching the draft, watching every pick that all the teams make, uh, or, do, or do you not pay attention to it? Uh, I, I pay attention to a couple of picks, but you got all the facts right there. You just read them all off. Yeah. Um, very excited to be a part of the launch with gone rogue, um, new snack. It's very healthy, high in protein. And it's, it's that it's, it's like a dream when it comes to snack. Cause it's like a chip, except it's healthy for you. So, um, very excited to be with them. And, uh, yeah, I watched the draft a little bit and, uh, very excited how our bears did. And I think we, we did really well and we're really excited heading into this year. Mitch, I want to apologize for Mike. Uh, he doesn't do any research. It's actually Pro Bowl quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Uh, w- talking about the draft real quick. <laughs> Daniel Jones drafted sixth overall. Everyone critis- criticizes the Giants. They criticize Daniel Jones. You were drafted two overall. The Bears traded up. There was maybe a little bit of unrest in the fan base, like what's going on? What's it like to be drafted and have maybe uh, people doubting you from day one? and uh, wondering if you're worth the draft pick. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I definitely feel with Daniel and how he feels going through a situation because it kind of was very similar how it was in Chicago. It could feel uncomfortable at first because, I mean, for, for us, we're just kids coming out of college and it's a dream come true. You finally get picked and whoever picks you, you don't know if you're going to go first. You don't know if you're going to last. For us to get picked, it's a dream come true. And then all of a sudden you feel like, you're not accepted into this organization or you already have this added pressure because where you got selected and, and that that's not really fair to the kid. But at the same time, um, it's it's you learn that that's what comes with the profession of playing professional football uh, at this level. Just um, having to handle the fan bases, hand, having to handle the, um, the the situation and pressure uh, of the position you're in now and uh it's just all part of the learning process. So I think at the same time, it puts a chip on your shoulder. I know it did for me. Um, everybody who, who doubted me and thought I didn't deserve to be picked number two overall, I think I'm still trying to prove those people wrong to this day. And that's something Daniel's going to have to do. But at, at the same time, uh, we're living the dream. It's a dream come true. We're very blessed to be in this situation. And it really doesn't matter if you get f- picked first, second, or get picked in the sixth or seventh round. It's it's an amazing opportunity to play at this level, and it all it all comes down to how, what you make out of this opportunity now. So uh, that, that's what I what I've been trying to do. But you know, if he calls you up and he says, you know, Mitch, hey, set aside the whole UNC Duke thing. Help me out here. Give me something specific. Give me something that I can do to get through these early stages of all this criticism, all this pressure. How am I supposed to turn this into a positive? 
Yeah, definitely. Number one, I would say you got to block out everybody on the outside. You got to block out uh, the media, Twitter, everybody who's hating on your situation and and trying to say that you don't deserve it. And then when you get to the facility, it, it's all about football. And I kind of know Daniel because I have a, f- a good friend that coaches at Duke. And th- this this kid's all about ball. And that's how I was too. You just go in. Uh, you're very fortunate for the situation. You just can't wait to go in, learn, compete. Uh, and get there with the coaches and right away you just got to get in with your teammates and earn their respect absolutely work your tail off and just show that you're willing to do whatever it takes to help the organization win uh, turn it around and really get things going so uh, I kind of know Daniel a little bit I think he he's he's up for the challenge uh, as was I and and a lot of these kids we just we just get picked and it's a dream come true. So you're going to go in there, work your tail off, and earn the respect of your teammates. And once you start winning games, uh, and then, then that's when you turn uh, the fan base. But it's first thing first. got to get in there, earn the respect of your peers, and, and, that, and that ultimately comes down to your teammates and your coaches. Uh, Bears Twitter last month called Matt Nagy the swaggiest coach in the NFL. Do you agree? That would be a fact, 100%. He is the swaggiest coach in the NFL. <laughs> Did you see Andy Reid's Hawaiian shirt at the coach's picture day? And you're still going to stick with that. Ooh, ooh, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, Co- coach Reid, he, he's got to be up there, probably top five Hawaiian shirt. That's a very <laughs> strong move. But uh, Coach Nagy, I'm sure he's got a closet full of Hawaiian shirts. And that was – he he could pull it out. It's, it's unbelievable. Mitch, how different is it for you this year that you're not having to learn a new coaching staff, a new offensive system, new everything that changed so over nice. after your first season? It, it's so nice. It's amazing. It's like we're already so much further than we were uh, last year at this time, having uh, the same offense, going through year two. We really, It feels like you could just really get on top of this offense, master it, and just go through all the details. So we, we know what we're good at. We know what we want to work at. And we're just way more focused on what we want this offense to be, how can we improve, how we can be more explosive, uh, convert more third downs, score more points, and, and everything like that. So just it, it's made this transition going into year three so much easier going into year two of this offense, uh, just knowing everyone who we have on um, playmaker-wise, knowing your teammates all across the board. Uh, we didn't add a bunch of new guys besides the rookies we just dra- drafted, so we'll get them in. And uh, – and we just have great chemistry between the players on offense and our coaches and, and what we're trying to do scheme-wise. And we're just so much further from where we're at. So I'm very excited to where this offense uh, could be um, this year. All right, so phenomenal year last year. We all know how it ended. We don't have to go back through there. I will mention that week 17, the Vikings rolled over. I still can't believe that. Uh, but the, it ended poorly. The Bears are bringing in eight kickers to try out we threw out the idea today how far of a field goal what's your longest field goal and do you think you could kick a field goal in the nfl in a game if if yeah. needed to be not saying you're going to yeah, be sure. but say there's an injury yeah yeah i heard i might get thrown into the competition as well so i kind of been working on my leg just in case and you never know if it came down to it i think i can make a 35 40 yarder with the wind, though, I'm not going to lie to you. I need the wind. I need that strong Chicago wind right at my back. And uh, I think I got 35 in me, maybe 40 if I get a good little uh, wind behind me. I old school, it. straight on, straight on, you know, the, 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 like uh, they would, used to be, do in the old days? 
that that would be the biggest decision. It'd probably be spur of the moment. I used to toe kick because uh, youth football, we, we would be the only team to kick field goals and now kick the field goals. And then you start to learn soccer style to get more power. But uh, if it came down to it, I might have to toe, toe punch it, you know, get it up there and uh, see if it could get it through. You know, one of the things that the media types do before a game, they're always watching the kicker. What's his range? How far is he making it? Does the wind affect him? Do you pay any attention to what your kicker looks like before a game? Just so you know, you know, that third and four from the 30, it's going to be more important than it otherwise would be because I don't have a whole lot of faith in my guy today. I actually, I actually don't. I never paid attention to that. It, it's a couple times it's not our kicker I pay attention to. It's the other guy. Because the uh, the the opposing team's kicker is usually in our way when we're trying to throw, and we're like, "All right, is this guy done kicking yet?" Um, <laughs> we're trying to get our warm up in. I'm trying to throw routes, and we're we're trying to go around them, and uh, you try to be courteous or, or or whatever, and not get in each other's way because everyone's just got to get their warm up in. But uh, I was, you're just standing behind the opposing team's kicker, and you're like, "When's this guy gonna move?" Hey, Vic Fangio's gone now. He's the defensive coordinator last year, did a great job for the team. What, what's that transition going to be like? I know that's not your side of the ball, but you're going to be seeing a lot of that side of the ball in practice. Yeah, for sure. We got a super talented defense, and uh, I know they're excited for uh, Coach Pagano and his scheme and every and in the coaching staff he's brought on the defensive side, and uh, they've just been diving in. And uh, we got a, just a veteran veteran group on this, on that side of the ball. They're very savvy, high football IQ. So they're just uh, embracing the grind of what is uh, off-season OTAs and picking up this new new defense. And uh, I can't wait to go against them soon uh, in, in practice. So we're going to get it going. And uh, we're, they're just super talented. So when they put their minds to something and, and just learn this new scheme and, and attack, and hopefully they're going to be just as dominant as they were last year. You know, last year nobody really expected anything from the Bears, and you guys overachieved and surprised a lot of people. What's the difference this year, the mindset? Because there is that burden, there's that expectation that you're going to win the division again. Does it change the way you think about things this time of year? Uh, a little bit. I think all those expectations that we overachieved were external. We knew what we had in the locker room, and we knew how many games we could win, and we felt like every week we were in it. And then uh, we just we, we felt like we should have won more games than we did last year. So all those ex- expectations that we overachieved were external last year, and the the pressure uh, that's out from outside forces as well as well. So we're just going to control what we control. Do go one game as a week, and uh, whether people believe in us, they think we should hit this number of wins or what. They didn't last year, so. Uh, we know what we're capable of. We know what we have in the locker room. We're a very confident group, and we're, we're excited for uh, this year. And the, the the bar is definitely set higher, so we know that. And it's not from who's setting that expectation on the outside. We're setting that standard for ourselves, and, and we're going to go chase it and, and get after it. So we're very pumped. All right, Mitch. Hey, well, we appreciate your time. We'll check out the Gone Rogue snacks available at supermarkets and convenience stores nationwide, also at Amazon.com. For more information, people can go to GoneRogueSnacks.com. All the best, Mitch. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Get you some Gone Rogue chips, man. All right. Thanks to Mitchell Mitch. Remember that was a thing? Mitchell versus Mitch. Mitch Trubisky. I don't even think of Mitchell anymore. Mitchell's what his mom would want to call him. I mean, that's fine. That's how moms are. Let's see what questions we have. You know, when I when I here, 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 I've I've learned something the past two days. I've learned the psychology of the PFTP and Posse. 
Today, I gave an hour and a half plus of notice when I called for questions. I got 25. Yesterday, I kind of forgot, but then kind of deliberately sandbagged until 10 minutes before I was starting to tape it because I didn't want to have to sift through 60 because like all week it's been 50 or 60. Yeah, they rushed to the counter yesterday. Scarcity mentality. It's very easy to manipulate the populace. Oh, you only got 10 minutes to ask a question. You better ask a question. When you put it that way, it's like, well, shit, I better ask a question. When you say, well, I'm going to tape this later today. Go ahead and ask a question. Why do I get around to it? Screw it. Screw that guy. Screw that guy and his ugly ass hair. Caleb Sutherland. Do you think it would be a good idea if the NFL bought the rights to all the casters? What are the casters? and placed the best ones on the best games and then just sold the rights to broadcast games to CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN instead of the format now. I assume you mean broadcasters. So what you're saying is that the NFL should hire all the broadcasters and the NFL then decides which broadcasters work which games and the rights to the games are... Now, the NFL doesn't want to be in that business. I don't think the NFL wants to be producing games. Look at what they did with Thursday Night Football. They said to the networks, hey, you know, we got a deal for you. We're going to sell the rights to Thursday Night Football, and we're going to retain several games a year that we're going to broadcast exclusively. And if you want to broadcast the games that are simulcast on your network and NFL network, you also have to produce all the games that are exclusively telecast on our network. Yeah, they don't want to be in that business. Here's what I think could happen at some point. I think the NFL could do what occurred a couple of years ago. Was it last year? Remember when DAZN, D-A-Z-N, the company that John Skipper got involved with that is really pumping a lot of money into boxing, and they've got Adnan Verk now, and Jamie Horowitz has emerged from whatever exile he was in following the allegations against him at Fox. DAZN had the exclusive streaming rights in Canada. It was the exclusive TV rights and they were streamed in Canada. That's what they were. It was the NFL's TV rights that DAZN bought them and they were only being distributed by streaming. And it sucked. It was a disaster. So what happened last year, DAZN broke off those rights and sold them to this cable outlet, this satellite provider, that company, this company, and basically acted as a middleman and there's an amount that the NFL gets paid by DAZN and then DAZN takes those rights and resells them and the idea is you make a profit that way and I think the NFL whether inspired by that or coincidentally the NFL would explore and I think I've talked about this before basically selling off a window 1 p.m. Eastern Sunday all the rights to all the games in that window. 4.25 p.m. Eastern Sunday, sell those off as a block. Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. You sell the window to AT&T, to YouTube, to Amazon, to Yahoo, some big giant company that then turns around and sells those rights to NBC or CBS or ABC. 
to ensure that the games are still broadcast on TV, you know, all this talk about DirecTV possibly losing the streaming rights to Sunday Ticket, they're still going to be distributing Sunday Ticket through some sort of mechanism that ensures that people can get those games, whether it's satellite or cable. You can't put all your eggs in the streaming basket. You have streaming rights for the cord cutters, and then you've got traditional rights. As we go through this transition from cable to non-cable, and more and more people are cutting their cords. I see the numbers all the time, and frankly, I'm thinking about doing it here. Where we live is in a bad spot for cable because it's kind of at the end of the line, and so I heard from the people who had the house before us that the local cable signal by the time it gets up this hill, it's horrible. So we've got direct TV. I've got a satellite dish on top of my house. I've got a dish down on my barn. Two separate accounts. I've had direct TV for 23 years. And for the first time ever, I've been actively considering getting rid of it. And getting smart TVs everywhere. We've got great internet in the house now. Fiber-based Everything that we stream on, it's clean, it's clear, whether it's Apple TV or when you get movies on PlayStation or watch Netflix, Hulu, whatever, through PlayStation up on a big screen. We have a theater with a big screen in it, and we can turn on the PlayStation, turn on Apple TV, and there's a projector, and it looks great. Looks excellent. Haven't bought a DVD in years. Stream, stream, stream. And the moment that Sunday Ticket's not available on DirecTV, if not sooner, hey, DirecTV, come get all your shit. Put it in a landfill with my shaving cream can. And if I'm thinking of that at 53, and you know all the kids who grew up in this age of smart TVs and fire sticks and whatnot, think about the concept. And I used to argue... Wait a minute. And, and look, I understand that we are a Comcast subsidiary to some degree. But I used to argue about the notion of buying this cable package where I only watch five of the channels. I'm paying for all of them. That's how ESPN made so much money over all those years. Whatever it was, five bucks, six bucks, seven bucks a home. And you got people out there that never watched it. They never watched it. But they're paying for it. That's why ESPN went through such a rough time when they cut the cord, and now it's rebounding through ESPN Plus because people are discovering, hey, I want to have access to this stuff, so I'll buy ESPN Plus. And so now I've found myself, and I bet a bunch of you are in this same boat, where you're paying for a cable or satellite deal, and you're getting nickel and dimed through Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, what else? YouTube TV. What else? DAZN. What else? ESPN Plus. So you have it on all your devices. It's amazing how much money you spend on this stuff. And you don't notice it because it's a little bit here and it's a little bit there and it's a little bit here and it's a little bit there. So sorry, DirecTV. You may be hearing from me soon. And maybe time to go all smart TVs here at the Florio household. And then watch the internet go out. Liam Jenkins, 21. Oh. You know, people are smart asses. 
I try to make it clear that the interview with Mitch Trubisky is taped. So you have to be a smart ass and ask a question for Mitch Trubisky. Well, you know, we already taped the interview earlier. Mike likes dirt. Who are the best hometown heroes of NFL history? Philip Lindsay is the one that comes to mind in the current era. Any others? Guys who grew up in the towns where their teams play. That's a good question because you know what? It doesn't happen very often because you can't play for your hometown team because you're getting drafted by whoever the hell wants to draft you. I need to think about this. Who are the best hometown heroes of all time? Guys who grew up, local products, who ended up being great players in their hometowns. Hey, Vince Young could have been for the Houston Texans, but they drafted Mario Williams instead. Who knows how good Vince Young would have been with the Texans. There was a ton of pressure on the Texans to take Vince Young in 2006. I don't know. Why are none jumping to mind? Joe Montana was from Pennsylvania. Tom Brady's from San Francisco. Joe Namath was from Pennsylvania. Dan Marino could have been with the Steelers. It's easier to list the ones that could have been, not the ones that were. I remember after Super Bowl 48, Jermaine Curse sat in for DP for a couple of days. Curse is a local guy undrafted from the Washington area. He wants to go back to the Seahawks, I think. Where did he, he end up? Is he still available? He may be one of those post-May 7 signings. Remember, May 7 is that day when, after that, you sign guys, it doesn't count toward the compensatory draft pick formula. I can't think of any. How am I not thinking of any? Surely, like in the old days. Like, was Lou Groza from East Ohio? For some reason, I think he was. Like, there were no great Steelers players in the 70s who were from Pittsburgh. Were there? Who am I missing? Terry Bradshaw was from Louisiana. Franco Harris was from, I mean, he went to Penn State, but he wasn't from Pennsylvania. I'm having a hard time here. Thinking of star players and Philip Lindsay's a pro bowler who ended up with the Broncos. He was pissed at the Broncos. He almost didn't sign with the Broncos because they didn't draft him in round seven. This gets back to that whole mentality of guys want to be drafted. They're brainwashed to think it's an honor to be drafted. It's better to be an undrafted free agent than to be drafted in round seven. Then you get to pick your spot. And he realized the right thing for him was to pick the Broncos because he'd have a chance to compete. He did. He became a starter. He became a pro bowler. I got to think that one through and come back to it. Tyler Esquire, what player would you love to see switch positions to the other side of the ball? Player who I would like to see switch positions. I'd like to see how some of these great receivers would do as corners. I'd like to see how some of these great corners would do as receivers. Let's see if these guys can catch. Wouldn't that be great? I think it's tougher to play defensive back than it is to play receiver because the defensive back doesn't know where the receiver's going. Great linebacker, could he play tight end? Great tight end, could he become a pass rusher? Could Joey Bosa be a great tight end? How would Tyler Kelsey, or Tyler Kelsey, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, God, Travis Kelsey, how would he do coming around the edge? He's kind of lean. Tyler Esquire, book my wedding today and I'm starting to come up with bachelor party plans. What did you do for your bachelor party? Those records are permanently sealed, my friend. Actually, I didn't have one. Just didn't have one. Had a small wedding. My mom was sick at the time, and we just didn't want to plan something too far out because I didn't know 
how long she was going to make it. And I didn't want to get myself in a position where we had some big wedding planned and then she would have a health issue that would keep her from being there or, or she wouldn't make it to that point. So we just threw something together fairly quickly and it was just immediate family. So, and, and I was 29 when we got married. That whole bachelor. That, not, I, does anything good ever come from a bachelor party? Like, just hang out with your friends from time to time. What's the point in getting everybody together and just going, like, over the top nuts? Like, what's, why? Like, I, there, there's no reason. Just, just hang out with your friends on a regular basis and, and, and have fun in moderation. I'm not big into the whole bachelor party scene. It makes me nervous. It's like, what's going to happen next? Like, what is one of these guys going to do under this guise of, hey, you know, YOLO or whatever the hell the saying is? So there's my recommendation, Tyler. Don't have one. Tyler Esquire, how will the NFL get teams like the Packers and Patriots to give up a home game for an international game? Will it have to be forced with something like a rotating schedule? I just, I think they're never going to do it. I think there are going to be certain teams that will never do it. And there will always be teams that want to do it because they're going to make more money than playing in front of a stadium that is half full. There's always going to be teams that are having trouble filling their stadiums and they'll be happy to play overseas like Tampa Bay. That's one of the teams now. It's one of the products of having, you know, bad teams and teams that stay bad. They eventually feel the pinch and they eventually are willing to play a game in London. The teams that are always filling up their stadium they're not going to want to. They're just not going to do it. Until the NFL expands to 17 regular season games and requires everyone to play a neutral site game, that's the only way we're going to see these teams on a regular basis playing internationally. Tyler Esquire, do you enjoy horse racing? Have you ever been to the Kentucky Derby? I've never been to the Kentucky Derby, and horse racing for me, and I understand horse racing is a big thing with NBC, and we support it, and we've had... Edzo on and Randy Moss this week on PFT Live. It just doesn't do anything for me. That's an, it just, it just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm no good at it. I don't have any aptitude when it comes to picking horses. And, and I always joke around like the horse doesn't know what the hell's going on. But it's just, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't resonate for me. And basically, once I went all in with football, like I remember some of these other sports were curiosities and it was a big event. I remember when we used to get the TV guy, Frank Costanza. And in the 70s growing up, the TV guide was a big friggin' deal. The TV guide was the one thing along with the newspaper, but the newspaper had a bunch of, like the newspaper would come every day. And I can remember newspaper, front section, it was one page after another of who gives a shit, who gives a shit, who gives a shit. I didn't care about any of that stuff. Now, I did pay a little bit of attention to it in hindsight. Like, I, I for a kid, 9, 10, 11 years old, like, I had a general understanding of what was going on in the world, but I didn't care about that stuff. Straight to the sports section. Straight to the comics. So the TV guide was like the newspaper that everything in it was cool. And it was great to see what's going to be on TV. Like, your life revolved around the TV. And like the TV was a bad thing. Like now they say these kids, oh, they have their phones. Oh, this is horrible. Back in the 70s, it was the boob tube and it dumbed you down and you're sitting there watching TV. You're a couch potato. When books first came out, when books were first a thing, oh, these kids sitting around reading books. 
But now, I will say this. Passively watching TV, probably not good. But even then, your brain has to be activated. You're inspired. You see something that moves you, touches you, makes you think, makes you laugh. How, what's, what's wrong with that? It's better than sitting there staring at the wall. So anyway, TV Guide was a big deal. And I remember the year that it was the 100th running of the Kentucky Derby. I remember flipping through the TV Guide and seeing there. And what they would do, you may remember this if you're old like me. They had the listings of all the shows. And it would just kind of cascade down the columns. What time, and it would, and it would had it had a little little square as to what channel it was on, 12, 33, 53, 7, and it would tell you what's going to be on. And there'd be like bold print, and then they'd give you a little more information under it. But then, like three or four times for the week, they would have a big close-up box, and you knew it was a big deal if it got a close-up box. It got like four paragraphs in this rectangular box that took up like a fourth of a page. It was usually lower fourth right side. When you peel it open, that's where I remember it being positioned. Now, maybe it moved around, but I just always remember you'd open it up, lower fourth right side, there was the close-up box. And I remember distinctly the close-up box for the 100th running of the Kentucky Derby. And that was the first time for me ever paying attention to sports that I felt like, man, that's a big, big deal. 100 years of the Kentucky Derby. And I remember like watching it and like, it just, you know, that was the opening for me to become a horse racing guy. And I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It didn't do anything for me. I remember when I was a kid, they had a promotion through the local, was it the food land? They had this thing called let's go to the races. And it was like this legalized gambling thing where you didn't put any money down, but you got, you got little um, game pieces and there was a show that would be on and it was horse racing. I think it was like the buggies. What do they call that? The buggies, you know, the horse and the buggy, the low buggy with the two wheels. And I like I when I first started watching, I thought it was live. I don't know how long it took me to figure out that this isn't live. So it's all you know. They know ahead of time. They printed out a certain number of winners, and you know you they end up giving you the one that has the horse that leads for the first ninety percent of the race and then loses at the end. But I remember thinking that was a big deal. Had your little game cards from Foodland, and you know you could win a couple bucks. Probably never won anything. Anyway. I never really got interested in it, but uh, but I know that, hey, it's a big deal. And the Kentucky Derby, Mike Tirico pointed this out on his podcast this week. It just feels like over the last 10 years, it's become culturally a bigger and bigger deal with the, the outfits and the hats and all that stuff. So, look, I, 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 I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just saying for me, it's just never, well, what am I supposed to do? Act like it, it's a thing for me when it's not? I, I, I got to be candid. I got to be honest. I'm sure there are people who work at NBC that don't like football. I just the, the horse racing just doesn't do it for me. Maybe I need to go to the Kentucky Derby, borrow Big Cat's jacket, his new jacket, and we'll see if it does something for me. 4ACODMT, what was one of the most intriguing cases you worked as a lawyer? Boy, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Most intriguing cases. I mean, obviously, a case that worked out well. I've told the story in the past about the case, and I probably, I don't know how much I can say, how it's been 18 years ago. 
It was right around this time of year that we got it resolved. I think I've told this story. If you've heard it before, you probably don't remember because I don't remember telling the details. There was a guy who was riding his bike cross country, mid-30s. And as he was passing through West Virginia, he was on Route 50, which is not an interstate highway. It's a national highway, right? And pedestrians aren't prevented. You know, interstates, pedestrians can't be out there. But like the U.S. highways, sometimes they're two-lane, sometimes they're four-lane. You know, it's that badge. It's that black and white sign with the white badge, like Route 40, Route 50, Route 66. So Route 50, which is four-lane through much of Harrison County, guy was riding his bike, and there was a young lady who fell asleep behind the wheel and took him out. And it didn't kill him, but it left him permanently severely disabled, physically and mentally. And that was the case, and I remember telling this part before, that was the case where, you know, and one of the problems with with automobile accidents, especially in a state like this, I don't know what the insurance limits are in other states, but I think it's still what they call 204010 here. For years, it's been 204010, which means the minimum requirement for insurance is $20,000 in liability coverage for one person that you could injure or worse in an accident, $40,000 for everyone combined, a maximum of 40, and $10,000 for property damage. That's the minimum insurance you're required to have in order to drive on the highways in West Virginia, 204010. I've never heard of it going up. I remember thinking 15 years ago, it needs to go up. This is ridiculously low. Now you can buy, through your own insurance company, higher protection. So if there is an accident and you have a motorist who is not uninsured but underinsured, where it's somebody who has the mere 204010, you go to your insurance company and say... You, you pay the hospital bills. You compensate me for this, that, or the other thing for someone else's negligence because I paid for that coverage to protect me in the event that somebody with no insurance or the minimum insurance that really provides nothing ends up falling asleep behind the wheel and taking me out while I'm riding my bike. So I can't remember how this came to be, but the mother of the gentleman who was riding the bike was either a paralegal or a legal secretary, and she just had an instinct or something. She just had a belief that there was more out there some way, somehow, and I can't remember why she believed that there was more. But she worked for a law firm in New Jersey, and she tried to get the law firm to take on the case and try to get more. And I think at some point somebody said to her, you're chasing ghosts. And that made her very motivated to find somebody who would pursue this theory. She had this instinct, this had, she had this, was just this hunch that there's more. And ultimately what we did, and I don't know how she even had any reason to believe that this could happen, but the whole concept of leased vehicles, you buy a car, but you do it on a lease agreement, right? Well, it's no different than buying a car and having it on a loan agreement, 
the bank owns the car until you pay it off. When you lease the vehicle, you never own it unless you buy out the lease at the end. You're paying the bank. It's a simulation of getting a loan. But instead of paying off the loan, you're paying the lease. Somehow, some way, this car was leased and there was something about the way the insurance policy was written. And I remember sitting there, and this is why diligence is so important when you're practicing law. You'll get a stack of documents three feet high, and you just have to look for that needle in that stack of documents. And sometimes it's not even there. Sometimes you have to go through all the documents twice, but you have to stay engaged and focused. And I remember finding something. It was that one, it was that one moment where I found one page with one thing on there that allowed me to make the argument that the insurance policy for the bank, for its own property, for its own operations, for the things it owns, the way it was written inadvertently encompassed all of these vehicles that the bank still retained ownership of under the lease agreements. And it opened up a much larger insurance policy that was available for this person to get compensation. Now, it got really complicated because the person was receiving Social Security benefits, disability benefits, and you lose some of that if you bring in this money, but th there's, a, there's an allowance to get a special needs trust. So basically, this guy was able to get stuff that Social Security wouldn't have paid for. You know, a better van, just better stuff. It didn't dramatically change his life, but it did bring a sense of justice for his mother, who felt helpless that this had happened to her son, and there was nothing she could do to help him. So that was, that's the one that I remember. And I didn't do a lot of injury cases because when you operate on a contingency fee, because most average people can't afford to pay for a lawyer by the hour, so they hire a lawyer on this basis where the lawyer gets 33%, 25%, 40%, whatever the case may be, depending upon how far the case goes. I never liked doing injury cases because I didn't like profiting off of others' physical misfortunes. Now, if people lost their jobs and I knew that without someone to fight like hell for them, they were not going to get anything. I think if somebody gets injured, they're going to get something. The question is, can you justify your fee? Are you going to make enough of a difference in what they're going to get? And a lot of lawyers would say, yes, we can. Yes. Otherwise, the insurance company is going to screw them. I still never felt good profiting off of that. But in this case, I did because without that one needle in that stack of papers, without the drive and the determination to keep looking and looking and looking to find that one thing that made all the difference, it, it never would have been there. And, and I remember after that thinking, you know what, there's probably a lot of other car accidents out there where you could make this argument. But I, I just, I didn't want it. I, I would, it. It was just one of those things, like, it just moved on. It's like, well, you know, if they're meant to come my way, they'll come my way. And I, at least I know to look for this, but I, I wasn't trying to handle accident cases so you know i focused on my employment practice and never had another one like that but uh it, 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 that was that and that was 2001 so uh that's the one that sticks out i bet you want that 10 minutes of your life back gears of ted is steve kime out after this year if kyler murray doesn't pan out i don't know if it's this year 
Could be. If Kyler Murray stinks and the Cardinals stink, he's probably out. Which is all the more reason for Steve Kime to say, we're putting him on the field week one. Cliff Kingsbury is still trying to play this game of reality TV. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. Eh, maybe we'll play him, maybe we won't. Yeah, well, we'll no. But Kime's like, yeah, we're playing him. They got to play him. I need to go soon. What else do we have? Dr. J144, does the NFL have a procedure in place to instruct teams not to claim a guy like Hill, Tyreek Hill, if Kansas City releases him, or would that be collusion? That would be collusion. It'd be collusion. You can't you can't tell teams who to hire and who not to hire. You can't. It would be collusion. Gears of Ted, which of the other three AFC East teams are best set up for long-term success in your opinion? It's either the Bills or the Jets at this point, although I wouldn't rule out the Dolphins. And let's not assume the Patriots are going to gladly give up the throne even when Tom Brady is gone. I think the Patriots are still the best set up to continue to be the Patriots with or without Tom Brady. And you could argue with or without Bill Belichick as long as they just continue. You know, they've cracked the code. To the extent that they can laminate that and continue to operate off of that sheet, that cheat sheet, not that they're cheating. It's just what they call a cheat sheet. Don't get mad at me. It's just the word. But to the extent they can keep doing it, off they go. Gears of Ted, is Mike Zimmer on the hot seat if this year doesn't go well for Minnesota? I think he will be. We talked about this yesterday. He's got the one-year extension that was the option the Wolves picked up. And they've gone playoffs, not playoffs, playoffs, not playoffs. And this is a year for them to go to the playoffs. And I think they will. I think they will. I think it's a moot point because I think they will go to the playoffs this year. The question is, will they be good enough to, number one, get home games in the postseason, and number two, win those home games? And it's all going to come down to... Number eight, Kurt Cousins. I mean, Kurt Cousins. Sashi89M, why haven't more teams adopted the Patriots and Brady's model of bypassing the salary cap by allowing him to profit from TB12 while he takes a team-friendly deal? And which quarterback team do you think is the most likely to do this next? Look, this theory comes up from time to time. Do you people really believe that the Crafts are funneling cash to Tom Brady? through TB12, and the NFL, which has been up the Patriots' ass whenever and wherever they can, is just looking the other way? Do you really believe that? Where the Patriots get accused of anything and everything, and this would be in plain sight, and the NFL wouldn't at least look into it? Don't you think the NFL has at least made sure this is all on the up and up? These are arm's-length transactions? So, Tom Brady just takes less. I mean, any team, if it really wanted to, could give brief cases of cash to players under the table. And would it be naive to assume that that never happens? It probably happens. I just don't think that something like this that would be so obviously suspicious when the NFL has been over backwards to screw the Patriots, especially on Deflategate, which I still think to this day was trumped up, was hyped up. The evidence was inconclusive at best. And that's what the finding should have been from Ted Wells. Inconclusive. He knew what the league wanted him to find and he worked backwards to find it. You got this thing that is right there, TB12. You do an audit of TB12. You go all the way down the financial rabbit hole and you prove that the Patriots are paying more than fair value for whatever services TB12 is providing. I just can't imagine there being anything to that. 
Ghost Hallis, people sleeping on Mitch being an MVP candidate this year are out of their minds. Passing stats in Chicago are always going to be 25% worse because of the weather, but we were ninth in points and third in time of possession last year with a running back who averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Hashtag watch and learn. That's not really a question. Tom G. Post. Does Chris Sims comment on unbuttoned that the Raiders are becoming a disciplined goody shoot two shoes team due to the draft hold water given they also signed A.B.? I don't know. We'll see how disciplined A.B. is. Matt Yvonne, kind of a how the sausage gets made question, but how are you able to put out so much content on PFT with such a small writing staff? Also, are there new ideas, content for the site that you purposely did not pursue for one reason or another? Look, my guiding principle has always been this. If I'm interested in it, I assume that other people are going to be interested in it. So I created the destination that I would spend my time at. And at some point, I went from being, you know, three to five stories a day, give your take on something, find something interesting. Oh, I like this. That's how I started. Oh, I like that. I'll write about that. Hey, I'm interested in that. I'll write about that. At some point, we became basically the unofficial wire service for all NFL news. And there are people complaining that we have stories about every draft pick, every fifth-year option. Some people in the media, some people whose job it is to follow this shit are complaining that we have stories and tweets letting the world know that someone has signed a contract. But that's what we kind of became. So it's a combination of nuts and bolts, grind it out, news, 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 news. I tend to barnstorm in for the things that I find particularly interesting that fall into my wheelhouse or that I think I can take and peel the onion back. And we typically try to add value Especially when we're writing a story based on someone else's reporting. We try to provide analysis to it that may not appear in the report. But for a lot of the transactional stuff, it's just, it's transactional. And the people who give a shit about the NFL, they pay attention to it. And that's what we've evolved into. And the staff is perfect sized. We get, trust me, all the time people asking for work. An amazing number of people who, because I got into this business after not being in this business, like, like, just like, hey, you know, I've never written before, but I want to work for you. It's like, I can't, I, what, how? Like, I, I would have never shown up at an established media outlet before I ever did anything and said, hey, I'd really like to do this. Can I work for you? I really like football. Can I work for you? And I understand that people have the passion they want to do it, and I appreciate people being interested, but we, we number one, the, the house is full. Number two, I mean, thank God we've evolved to the point where when it's time to look for writers, we can at least have a degree of expectation when it comes to experience and proven ability. I mean, we were looking and looking and looking for someone to replace that, it was kind of that afternoon swing shift spot we had Mike Wilkening in it for a while, and then Zach Jackson was in it for a while, and I wasn't happy with our options to place someone in that spot. And and we, we were thinking about hiring a, cu- a couple of part-time people and maybe seeing which of the two would become better, and I really hated that idea that there'd be some sort of an implicit competition between those folks, and it just it's like nothing. And then all of a sudden, Shereen Williams got laid off by the Fort Worth Star-Teller, and I was like, boom, uh, oh, let's go get her. So, you know, now that I've been in this long enough, I know the people that I'd want to work with. I know the people that I think do a good job. And if we're ever looking, that's the first place I'm going to look. And I mean, I got into this job because 
there was a website, nfltalk.com, that was looking for people who would work for free, and they put out a call to send in a sample, and I sent in a sample, and they liked it. And as of June 27, 28, 19 years later, that's how I tripped into this business. And as of November 1, 18 years later, that's how PFT got started. Matt Yvonne, did you sense any undertones of sarcasm in Brady's interview on Jimmy Kimmel last night regarding his salary? We surprised Kimmel did not mention the Robert Kraft fiasco or Brady's past relationship with the president. I didn't watch it, so I don't know. I'm going to have to check it out. Stephen Wise, 89, do you ever have work-related dreams? If so, what is the most common recurring theme? Most of my stress dreams relate to practicing law. I rarely have, although every once in a while I'll have some kind of goofy dream, like one of those things where at the time it seems semi-plausible. When you wake up, it's like, how in the hell was I interviewing a fish? But I'll have dreams most commonly of being thrust into a case that is in trial and I don't know anything about it and I just have to go and act like I know what I'm doing. And I think that fundamentally speaks to that fear that, the show's going to start. I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not going to know what's next. I'm not going to know what to say. I'm not going to know what question to ask. There's always that concern that you're going to tap the limit of your knowledge or that maybe you didn't spend enough time thinking about it. Big cat busted my balls today because I didn't know the weather report in Kentucky for the race tomorrow. I didn't know. Didn't think to know. I got curious while I was talking to Randy Moss because you know what? If I was just some guy walking down the street and I ran into a guy who was covering the Kentucky Derby and we were talking about the Derby, I'd say, so what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? I mean, I'm not getting ready to figure out who's a mutter and whose mutter was a mutter and all that stuff. But that's the big stress dream I have. Being stuck at trial with some case where I didn't know a damn thing about what's going on and it's just go. Go. Have fun. Go prove your case. I did have one recently, though, where, and I don't remember the details. Isn't it funny how you'll have some crazy-ass dream. You'll think of it the next day. Because it's rare that you wake up thinking, for me, I don't like wake up thinking about the dream that I had. It's something happens throughout the course of the day that that triggers the memory of the dream. And it's like, boy, if I hadn't seen that name or or looked at that book or whatever it was or had that trigger, I never would have remembered ever having that dream. But at the time, like there are times where it all seems so vivid and real, but then it just kind of dissipates and you forget about it. It's just weird. The human brain is a weird thing when you're asleep. And one thing I've noticed is that like, like it, it's this, this stew of different things that enter your brain's field of vision. Like there's a name that comes up and there's a place that you once went to and, and there's a car that you saw that you thought, man, you know, I'd like to have that car someday. Or I remember when I had that car and it all gets thrown together and you press the blender button and it ends up flooding your brain in some crazy ass way. All right. I got to wrap this up. See what else we got. CJ Newman. Did the Chiefs improve on defense? We'll see. Isn't it weird they had such a great pass rush and their secondary was so bad? I like the idea of Tyron Matthew. I'd feel better if they had better corners. But they got Frank Clark. See what kind of a player he is. Are they going to pay Chris Jones? They picked up Alex Okafor. 
but the secondary was a problem last year. Jacob Luke, how do you factor the refs in your both teams on the field, opposite end zone, shootout, back and forth OT proposal? That's the two-point conversion shootout. Are we going to slow the excitement down by having the officials constantly run the length of the field? No, you just split the crew. When they get to eight, you do four at one end and four at the other. Do you really need more than four if you're talking about an area that takes up 15 total yards, the 10-yard end zone, and you know the five yards that would be from the goal line to the backfield? I think you just split the crew up. Simple. The XFL is going to have to figure it out, but you just split up the crew. You're not going to run the officials up and down the court like they're playing basketball on a 100-yard court. I think it's also interesting, what's the head coach going to do? Which end of the field is the head coach going to be on? And is he going to, you know, you're going to delegate. Like if you're Sean McVay, you're going to go on the field, the end of the field that has your offense. And when you're the, you're going to go, uh, when you, you know, you're going to send, uh, what's his name? Wade Phillips to the other end. All right, I got to go. We're having dinner at the house in an hour and a half, and I want to work out before uh, we have dinner so I can uh, eat more food than I should. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you listen to all five days of PFTPM this week, we'll be back at it again next week. And uh, around the clock, profootballtalk.com, posting content all weekend long. PFT Live back on Monday. You know the drill by now. Enjoy the weekend. Watch the Kentucky Derby on NBC. I'll watch it. You watch it. I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to go find a funky hat, and I'm going to wear it tomorrow while I watch the Kentucky Derby, and I'm going to go get myself the ingredients for a mint julep. Is that what they drink? And I'm going to have myself a good old time watching all the mutters run around on the track. All right, everybody, have a good weekend. See you next week. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.